Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Hebrews as we start a brand new chapter today, Hebrews chapter 11, in a Bible study that I've entitled Faith on Display. And we're going to be spending the many next few, next many weeks, I should say, on this topic of faith. And we're going to go very slowly through chapter 11. I'm not sure how long it will take us, but we're not going to go quickly because God wants to build up our faith and he wants us to be encouraged in learning how to trust him. And this is a new section. And another reason why I believe Paul wrote Hebrews because of the pattern in which he wrote. As you study the letters that Paul wrote, letters like Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians, there is a predictable pattern that he follows. And this is the pattern. In the beginning of the letter, he lays the foundational doctrinal framework of the topic that he's writing about. He, he gives you what the word of God says and what it means. And then in the second half of his letters, he gives you the application. Now that you know what it says and now you know what God means, how do you live that out in your life? And that is a good way to open up your Bible. I mean, every time we open up our Bible, the very first question we ask is, what does it say? What does the Bible say? The second question we ask is, what does it mean? Now remember, we don't want to just find out what it means in the 21st century. No, we need to find out what it means in the context. Never forget that word. We need to remember that the Bible was written in a context, in a cultural time period. So what did it mean to the people it was written to? So when you're reading the book of Ephesians, what did it mean to the church in Ephesus? And so we learn, we, first of all, we ask, what does it say? Second of all, we, say, we ask, what does it mean? Then we ask, how do I apply this in my life? And that's the order. We can't go backwards. That's one of the reasons why I love to teach through the Bible expositorily, because when you teach through the Bible, you have to, what does it say? What does it mean? How do you apply it? But those that have chosen a more topical approach, as many teachers do, they actually do things backwards. They actually ask the question, what's the application of the Bible? And then they go find scriptures that support the application. But the power of God's word is the way he wrote, he wrote it, the way he gave it. And that's the approach that we take. And let me just say, uh, let me give you a question that you shouldn't ask. And that if you use this vocabulary, I want you to stop it. Don't use this anymore, and you'll have to change your way of thinking. Because a lot of people will say this. What does the Bible say? What does it mean? And then they'll ask this question. What does it mean to me? Can I just say, it doesn't matter what it means to you. It only matters what God means. It doesn't matter what it means to you. You know, you might be in a small group study, and they'll read a scripture, and then what will they do? They'll say to the group, okay, everybody, what does this mean to you? Wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, what does it say? What did God mean by it? And how do I apply it in my life? Not what does it mean to me. There's only one meaning to the Bible. There's only one meaning to the text. So if I would say, hey, let's read the Hebrews and, and say, okay, everybody, what does it mean to you? It'll have something over here, something over here, something. It's not, we don't want to know what it means to you. You want to learn 
what do I do with God's desire for my life? What do I do with the word of God? So be careful when you use that phrase. Use it properly and learn how to apply it. So the pattern of Hebrews now is he's laid this foundational doctrinal framework of why it's important to stay focused and move forward and not go backwards. The Jewish Christians that this was written to were being tempted by the old religious system, the old covenant. They've been delivered from the old covenant and it didn't make any sense for them to want to go backwards because in the old covenant, they would keep being told, look for Messiah, look for the savior. When he comes, embrace him. So now that Jesus has come, they've embraced him but remember, they're having all of these feelings of going backwards. They, they miss their family that's abandoned them. They, they miss their status in society. They miss the formalities of religion. They miss the incense. They miss the sacrifice. They miss the, the priest standing in the gap. And now they're asking the question, okay, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm going to go forward. But how do I go forward? And the answer is we go forward by faith by faith. Now, remember in the original language, the New Testament written in Greek, there are no chapter breaks. There are no verse numbers. Those were added much later to the Bible to help us navigate, and I'm grateful that they did. But sometimes they put a chapter break in a place that they really shouldn't have, and I think this is one of them. I want to tie these two chapters together, starting back in chapter 10, verse 35. Would you go there with me? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Because really this is all one thought of the application. Now the rest of Hebrews will be the application of living life by faith. Starting with chapter 11, which is called the hall of faith. So in verse 35, a corner is turned. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. The coming of the Lord, he will come. Jesus is returning at any moment, at any time. And he will come, the Bible says. But the just now shall live by, what does your Bible say? Faith. We spent a whole week looking at the importance of just, you and I that have been justified by God will now live our lives by faith, not by works, not by religion, not by opinion, but by faith. But if anyone draws back, verse 38, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not those who draw back to destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony." Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word faith in verse 38, and you can circle the word faith in chapter 11, verse 1. You can circle both those words and draw a line between them, because the just shall live by faith, and now we're going to see what faith looks like, and we're going to learn of the testimony of faith and what faith looks like, like how is it lived out. But we also get a simple definition here of faith. And since you've already circled the word in verse 1 of chapter 11, faith, right next to it, this Greek word, P-I-S-T-I-S. That's the Greek word for faith. And the definition is, it means to win over. It also means to persuade. It means, it has the meaning of stability and steadfastness. 
And of course, the common words that we know, it also means to trust and to believe. And faith is the foundational principle along with truth in our relationship with God. And if you're taking notes, let me give you nine things, and it's not limited to just nine, but let me give you nine things that are critical related to faith within the Bible. For example, number one, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Because one of the things we're gonna learn about faith is that it is not faith in faith, or it's not this power that God has given you to control God. Faith is not something that will bring great prosperity and money into your bank account and, and now you'll be driving a new car because you have more faith, more faith. You know, God loves you regardless of the level of faith that you have. You could have a great high level of faith today. You could trust God for great things. God loves you. And you could be on the other end of the spectrum and you could be in a place of low faith or even no faith. You could consider yourself today faithless, but God still remains faithful and he loves you. Faith is not related to prosperity, as some people might falsely teach. The object of your faith is submission and surrender to God, not bossing him around like he's just going to take care of all, everything that you ever want and even more. And so the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. That's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, where he's the author and finisher. Faith is only as valuable as the object that you place it in. And if you place your faith in man, you'll be disappointed. And you place your faith in money, you'll be disappointed. You place your faith in a televangelist, you'll be disappointed. You can think of a lot of different areas where you place your faith, but when you place your faith in God, you will not be disappointed because he remains faithful. Number two, the requirement for salvation is faith. Jesus was asked, what must I do to do the works of God? And what did he say? Belief. Salvation is accessed by faith. Thirdly, the fruit of the Spirit involves faith. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Number four, the gift of the Spirit, faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. The gospel or the word of God is called faith. In Jude 3, Jude only has one chapter. That we are contending for the faith, for the gospel, for the good news that a life can be changed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Number five or six, the lifestyle of believer is tied to faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Next, number 7, the commitment of the believer is tied to faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 11, notice in verse 6, it says, without faith it's impossible to please him. In order to please God, it requires faith and intellectual agreement with God and who he is. It's interesting, I don't know if you noticed, but quite a few atheists have started to leave the term atheist behind and adopt another title to describe themselves as a person who doesn't believe in God. And, and the most top popular title, I just read an article recently of a, a, of a guy just dropping the term atheist because I think they're beginning to understand to call themselves an atheist really doesn't make sense. Because in order to be an atheist, you have to believe there's a God that you don't believe in. <laughs> And so they're leaving the title behind. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them. Because in order to be an atheist, you go, well, I, don't believe that the, I don't believe that there's a God that I don't believe in, that I don't believe there's, you know, it's just like they can't, they can't keep it straight. So in intellectual agreement, it requires, you know, faith is not a leap into the dark. 
You know, you share somebody, I, I follow Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, it's just blind faith. No, my, it's the exact opposite. My eyes are open now to a new reality. I'm not blind. I can see. I can see things I never saw before. I can feel things I never felt before. I have a real relationship with a real God. And it's impossible to please God without trusting him and believing that he is. And that, notice, for he who comes to God must believe, this is verse six, that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we'll get to that in a future study. And then number nine is faith is a shield against demonic attacks. In Ephesians chapter six, the shield of faith. And we're able to stand strong by believing God. And we're not the ones that draw back, but the ones that go forward. Now coming again to verse 1 of chapter 11, faith is something that operates in the context of thing, two ways. In the context of number one, things that haven't happened yet. And number two, things that cannot be seen or figured out with the human mind. So faith operates in a nether dimension. It, it, when we speak of faith, it reminds us that we live in two places at the same time. We live in the physical realm and we also live in the spiritual realm. And that's important for you to realize today that this life is not all there is. That this life, as brief it as is, it's described like a vapor that's here today, gone tomorrow. This life in the physical realm, because we are, here we are in a physical realm, we're in physical bodies, we're in a physical place, and we have life here. We are responsible to live our spiritual lives in the, in the physical realm. But at the very same time, you also live in the presence of God, where the angels are there crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and don't you find that when we're singing songs to God with our eyes closed and our hands raised, and I know the room is filled with people, but there's that sense where you're just caught up into the presence of God. How does that happen? But the spiritual realm. You're in the spiritual realm and the physical realm at the same time. Faith helps us to access the spiritual realm. Faith gives us insight into things that can't be humanly seen or figured out by man's mind. Faith and hope are neither blind nor wishful thinking. Truly, notice what he says in verse 1. Faith is, and you can mark this word, substance. There is substance to our faith. You can circle that word and you can write next to it, hypostasis. that's the Greek word here. New Testament was written in the original language, much more flowery and descriptive at times. You can spell it, it's H-U-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. And it literally means foundation or assurance. It even has been used in the ancient Greek world to describe the title deed of something where you own, when you have the deed, you know that you own it. Like a lot of you are looking forward to that last house payment, that last one. I might be 103 years old, but I'm going to make that last house payment. And when you do, they will send you the deed and you will own the house. You, nobody can talk you out of it because if somebody, oh, you don't own that house and you go, boom, here it is. Title deed. That's what faith is to you. Oh, you don't believe. Oh, you're not saying. Oh, you don't. No, no. Hey, my faith is the title deed. It's the guarantee. I believe God at his word. I believe God at his word. The evidence that he's given to us, it's substance. And secondly, it's substance of things hoped for. And then secondly, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence 
of things not seen. You can circle that word. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to say the word. I'll just give it to you. The Greek word is E-L-E-G-C-H-O-S. And it means conviction. It also means confidence. So faith has a substance. That's the title deed, the assurance, the guarantee. And it also has evidence, which is the conviction and the confidence that you have that what God said is true even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it. Why? Because when your faith is in the one true God, the only reliable object of your faith. We looked at this in brief last time, but you know that we all operate on faith. Every single person, Christian, believer, unbeliever, atheist, everyone operates on faith in everyday life. They just don't acknowledge that. Like, for example, when you flip on the switch for a light, you do that by faith. You probably don't think that way, but your mind processes all kinds of things. It's dark in here. Where's the light switch? Oh, I know if I turn the light switch on, something will happen. Electricity will go for wherever it's coming from. And however it gets, however it gets it's going to go up and that light's going to come on. I mean... For, us, for most of us, I know there's a select few that understand electricity, but most of us have no idea how it works. And even if you explained it to us, we would have no idea. But we believe it works. I believe it works. Every time I flip a switch on, I believe it works. Every time I turn the switch on, I expect the light to come on. I don't need to, you know, some of you, well, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And so you're like, okay, I'll never turn another light switch on till I break through the drywall, find that wire, and I'm going to flip the switch at the same time. I'm going to cut the wire. And I'm gonna, don't do that. By the way, don't do that. Don't do that. It'll end very bad for you. No, you just say, no, I don't need to go behind the drywall. I don't need to know the wiring. Look, Ed, I'm not that complicated, man. I just flip the switch on and I wait for the light to come on. Well, that's a great way to describe your relationship with God. There are a lot of ways of God that you don't understand. There are a lot of ways that he's doing things and a lot of things that he, a lot of ways he does things that we don't fully understand. But we have no problem flipping the switch. Why? Because we believe that what God said is true. We believe people live that way every day of their lives. They just stop short when it comes to their creator. Because to put your faith in your creator, you have to admit a lot of things. You have to come clean about your own lifestyle. You have to come clean about your own rebellion. You have to talk about difficult things. You have to admit that you failed. You have to admit what the Bible says, you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. You you have to submit to a moral authority above your opinion and above the majority. And most folks resist that because they're blind to the truth of God. And they're unwilling to come. Like Jesus said, how often they resist him and are unwilling. Faith is something that operates in the context of things that haven't happened yet, but we believe God in things that cannot be seen. There's substance and evidence because we worship a real God with a real conviction in our hearts that there's another unseen spiritual world happening right now. And by faith, trusting God at his word, chapter 11 will show us many men and women that through faith, developed a good testimony. It's the same way you develop a good testimony. By faith, trusting God at his word and obeying him in your life. Now, 
You have to say though, because as you read through chapter 11, some people wouldn't call it the hall of faith, some people would call it the hall of failure. Because the page is filled with failure. I mean, just go through and you can think of, wait a minute, you know, by the time we get to verse eight, it says in verse eight, chapter 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed? Abraham obeyed? Man, when I think of Abraham, I can think of some significant disobedience in his life. How about the time when he sold out his own wife and said, oh no, that's my sister, that's my sister, not my wife. Good job, good model as a husband, Abe. Not. He obeyed when he was called to go to that place. He went out not knowing where he was going. How about Sarah? Chapter 11, I mean, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful? That's not how I remember the text. When she was given the promise that she was going to have a child, and let me be careful here, in her older age. She was old. Do you guys remember the Bible? Genesis, she was very old. What was her response? Oh, I can't wait. Do the miracle inside of me, God. Yes, I'm old. I can't have a baby, but I'm going to have a baby. Was that? What did she do? She laughed. But what does the Bible say? She judged him faithful. You know what that tells me? That tells me that when God sees you, he sees you in those places of obedience. He sees your potential. He sees your progress, not necessarily all your failures. The problem is this. While God sees you one way, you may see yourself differently. And you look at yourself and you go, what a mess I am. How difficult my life has been. One failure after another. I have so much more, far, I have so much farther to go, Ed. I mean, I mean, I have so much farther to go. But when God sees you, he says, but look how far you've come. Look how far you come. Don't you remember the kind of mess you were before you were born again? Don't don't you remember what I delivered you from, what I saved you from? And it all is perspective. Because faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. It's how he desires us to live. And when God looks in this room today, he sees what he's done in your life. And he doesn't necessarily focus on your failures. We, We have a tendency to focus on our own weaknesses and focus on our failures. Some today are living in what I call a perpetual state of self-condemnation, where you just beat yourself up relentlessly for your failures. Long distance past, recent past, maybe something that's just been happening in the last week or so, and you are in a perpetual state of condemnation. Even though the Bible teaches you that in Jesus Christ there's no condemnation, there's no belittling yourself, there's no tearing down, many people still today choose to live in that state. It's truly a place of faithlessness in the word of God. Would you turn over to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 with me? It's a place of disobedience. It's a place where you are failing to see the goodness of God in your life, in the land of the living. And it's good to be reminded in Romans chapter 8, there in verse 1, of the importance of this truth. And we're going to read this together, so I want you to read out loud. I'm going to read from the New King James. You can read from any version you have. If you need a Bible, grab one from the chair in front of you. Or if the person next to you has a nice leather one, you can have that one too. Or you go, wait a minute, Ed, the guy next to me has an iPhone. Go ahead and take it. It's all right. It's yours. Let's read this together. 
uh, in your own Bibles, because I want you to hear it, and I'm going to make an inf- and I'm going to make a point in a moment. But I want it to come out of your own lips, not just mine. So we're going to pick up Romans chapter eight, verse one. You ready? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word now. Every time you read Romans 8.1, it is now. You, you'll never read it in a moment that isn't now. And in every now moment of your life, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. None. Not even a little bit. There, there is no condemnation. There's no beating yourself up. You will get nowhere in your life of faith by continuing to beat yourself up. Jesus Christ took the beating on your behalf. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shed his blood so you will no longer need to live a condemning life. Listen, we all have pasts. And as I mentioned, when they created cars, they made the windshield this big and the rear view mirror this big for a reason. Because the life of faith is forward, not backward. The just shall live by faith and the life of faith is forward. Oh, I know that if we could go backwards and change things with what we know now, we would absolutely change things. But if you feel that way, that's a sign of spiritual growth. That's a sign. Like for you to look back and go, man, I really blew it. It's not a place of condemnation, but it's a place of spiritual growth. A sweet sister came up after the service. Uh, I know their situation. And she asked me, she was talking about condemnation and some of the cycles that she's in and depression. She wanted me to pray for her. And as she was describing it, you could see on her countenance, she was sad. She was sad describing. But as she was describing to me the situation that she's in, very briefly, she was also telling me some of the progress that she's made. And just the fact that she's talking about it. And so I paused, I stopped her and I said, look, I I want you to know, as you're describing this situation, your face is very down, but I wanna tell you something. The fact that you're asking for prayer, the fact that you see it happening in your life, the fact that you don't want it in your life, the fact that you're looking for help from God is a good thing. And her face immediately lit up. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that God has revealed this to you. You look back in your past, you go, I didn't have this revelation about myself before. But now God is revealing to me that he doesn't want me to live this way. He wants me to trust him with my life. He he wants to, to pull me out. He wants to change me from the inside out. And that's good news. The just shall live by faith. We live by faith trusting God. Not always emphasizing our weaknesses. Listen to how the New Living Translation translates this. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1 it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And we're going to learn a lot about these men and women that God used, that what God emphasizes is their life of faith, not their failures. And you and I would do well to emphasize our life of faith and not our failures, because it will build us in our faith, trusting God for whatever he might bring our way. We often get, and I can speak for myself, get caught up in the impossibility of the situation. It just looks impossible, it feels impossible, it seems impossible. But when we think of impossibilities, we need to remember back in Hebrews chapter 11 that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so I want to please God with my life. And the requirement that God has for me is to trust him, to trust him. No matter what I feel, 
no matter what I see, faith brings me into the spiritual realm. Another guy that God uses in the scriptures to show us the positive progress of a believer is a guy by the name of Timothy. He was a younger man. We don't know exactly how old he was, but he was a younger man that had taken over the ministry uh, over in Ephesus and he was beginning to want to quit. He was ready to throw in the towel. We learn a lot about him in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, those letters toward the end of the Bible, because Paul writes to him to encourage him in the weakness of his life. But, but he, had, he was sickly, he was timid, he was fearful, he was ready to throw in the towel, he was ready to quit, he was like anywhere but here, I don't like it here, I don't want it here, and he's ready to go on. And what Paul does is he writes to him, and in the last chapter of 1 Timothy, in verse 11, Paul tells Timothy this, the weak one, the ready to quit one, the one that's done, the one that's ready to move on, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to do it, this is what Paul tells him. But you, O man of God, Now, we may not think that's a big deal because we use that phrase so loosely now. We call everybody a man of God. And women that are following Jesus, we call them women of God. We have that phrase. But if you study that in the scriptures, you'll find that that phrase wasn't used for too many people. It was used just for a few people in the scriptures, Timothy being one of them. Moses, another man of great failure, he was called a man of God. Elisha called a man of God. David in his failures called a man of God. And now Timothy in his weaknesses called a man of God. It's a special title. Why? Because God places it upon us. It's not what we call each other. God looks past our weaknesses. And we would do well to follow him. Church, we need to be careful in over-condemning ourselves or condemning ourselves at all. Yes, you have weaknesses, and yes, you have failures. But Jesus looks out today and sees such great potential in this church family. Every group, he looks and sees what's possible in your life. He sees your progress. He rejoices in your growth. Condemnation does nothing but destroy the faith of a Christian and brings hopelessness. But let me give you a second one, and that is this. We need to also be careful not to condemn one another. Because it's easy to see each other's failures. It's easy to see each other's weaknesses. It's easy to point them out. They're they're obvious. Especially as we come together in this fellowship family. You know, God placed us in this fellowship family. He's the one that created the church. He's the one that started this church. And he's put us together for mutual love and encouragement, not to tear down and belittle one another and condemn one another for the weaknesses that are among us. As God gathers us together, this should be a place where our faith grows. Where as we learn, go back to Hebrews chapter 10, as we learn in verse 24 that we're not to forsake the gathering together, but in verse 24 we're to consider one another, to stir up love and good works. That's God's will for your life. God's will for your life when you gather together is to stir up love and good works. Not to forsake our gathering together, but to make sure that you obey him in looking to help one another, grow one another, pray for one another, to see love among the church, to stir up love and good works, not to pick and point out every weakness and failure and all the difficulties that are in this room. Because there is friction whenever you gather together. There's always friction and difficulty among God's people. Did you know that? 
<laughs> Maybe, you know, you're like, yeah, Ed, I've, I've faced a lot of friction in the church. But have you considered that you also are a source of friction? It's not everybody friction towards you. Sometimes you're the source because we're the same. And we all need an abundance of grace. You know, we use the word friction a lot. I had to look it up just so we know the definition. Because we use it, we kind of fill with our own definitions. The dictionary defines friction as this. The clash of differing opinions or attitudes. Doesn't that describe us, our day and age? The clash of differing opinions. We live in the day where opinion is even elevated above the word of God. Lord, forgive us. God's word is sure and steadfast and trumps all of our opinions and overcomes all of our attitudes so that we can come together and have the spirit of God release the friction that's among us. Isn't that great? Through love and forgiveness, God is able to do great things. Have you ever seen the church body as a group of people that God has brought together and that friction's gonna happen and it's gonna require the agape love of God? so that we don't get all upset with each other and we don't start condemning one another and take that opposition like in Galatians says that we start to bite and devour one another as believers that brings no progress for the gospel it kind of makes the gives the church or gives the world another opportunity to laugh and mock at the church because we're too busy fighting one another instead of in unity together in Christ fighting the real enemy and the enemy is not the person sitting next to you. Would you just look at the person sitting next to you and say, you're not my enemy. Just say it out loud. You're not my enemy. Now go to the other side. You're not my enemy. Would somebody please say it to me? Please. Please. You always forget me. We're not enemies in Christ. We're brothers and sisters that are fighting the good fight of faith. Moving forward in what God has for us. Not to condemn and belittle and put each other down. Even though we have difficulties. And people give up on the church because of friction and difficulties, you know? They say, ah, oh, forget about it. I had a bad experience. I'm never going back to church. I'm not going back to that church, that church, any church. I hate church. Because <laughs> you've been hurt. And the place of healing is actually the church. And when you run away from the church, you run away from God really helping you to heal. And, and I know we laugh a little bit. First of all, I want to say I'm sorry that you were hurt in the church or in this church. And if that came from me personally, then I personally ask for your forgiveness. It isn't my intention to hurt, but at times we make mistakes with one another and we sin against each other. It happens to all of us. And this should be the place, like our homes, of love and forgiveness. Because what? Love covers a multitude of sins. So don't give up on the church because of a little bit of friction. You don't do that when you go shopping. You don't just say, oh, I hate King Supers. I'm never going back. Well, what's the matter? Well, as I was going around and making a left turn by the, by the bananas, another cart hit me. And I was like, oh, I hate this place. I don't know how to drive their carts here. I'm, not, I'm never shopping at King Supers. I'm going to go to Safeway. <laughs> Same thing. Happened. Now, you guys listening to this uh, in another state, King Supers is a really weird name for our grocery store here. <laughs> it's really weird. But that's where we go shopping. But you guys got weird stores too, like Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> so, all right, so don't judge us. And so you give up on, nobody gives up on a grocery store because of a bad, nobody gives up on, say, you still go shop. I don't go, oh, well, Ed, I don't go to King Super, I don't go to Safeway, I don't go to Sprouts. Well, where do you go? Because it's part of the process. And so it is with the church. 
And the church is so different than grocery shopping, right? Because the Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is here the moment a believer showed up on the property. And then two, and then three, and then a hundred, and then thousands. The Spirit of God is among us, ministering to us. And it will be difficult. Like one person said, to live above with the saints we love will certainly be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. And I always like to remind people when they start serving here or maybe come join our team of leadership, I always like to remind them, this isn't heaven. This isn't heaven. Heaven is still to come. We're on earth with human beings that make mistakes and say dumb things and do dumb things, sometimes on purpose, but most of the time on accident as we're just growing in grace together. And even though it shouldn't be that way, it shouldn't be a place where we try to avoid, it is at times. And God's intention is for this to be a place of refuge and a help for people that need a touch from God, a place of worship, a community of the redeemed with an open door for those that need to enter into a relationship with him. And if we're not on guard spiritually, watching out for each other, friction is a lot of what we'll see and experience. And if that's a lot of what you see and experience, then you will emphasize that a lot. And one of the defense mechanisms that people have is they never admit that they're wrong. They always find the wrong in other people. And that's just not the way of the Spirit. And God is not wanting to point out every single wrong thing in your life either. He's wanting to show you there's a better way and a higher way. And does he bring conviction of sin? Absolutely. Because without the conviction of sin, we would just pass by like it's no big deal. But the emphasis of God is not for you to condemn yourself. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that he came not to condemn, but to save. God wants to emphasize the saving work in your life so that you take a higher road, that you go into a place of agape love. Can I show you a couple more things before we go? Go over to Romans chapter 14 with me. Back into Romans chapter 14. It's not God's will for us to be hypercritical, just filled with opinions and hypercriticalness all the time, but we're rather to build one another up. We're to stir up love and good works. Your opinion is not higher than the word of God. So make it a habit of emphasizing the word of God. And if somebody asks your opinion, I hope you develop the habit as I want to develop myself. You say, well, Ed, what's your opinion on this? I hope my response is, what does the word of God say? Because that's where my opinion needs to be. My opinion needs to be, what does God say on the matter? And I shift my thinking to what God says. So notice, I'm going to read in the New King James, and then I'll also read it to you in the New Living, because I really love how they pulled it out. But here's the New King James, Romans 14, verse 1. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. And verse four is key, isn't it? Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Listen, God is able to make you stand in all your weaknesses today. God is able to make you stand in all your failures. God is able. He is your judge because you serve him, not man. Isn't that great? I love that. Listen to it now in the New Living. Accept other believers who are weak in faith 
and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn another, someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And listen, with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. That's where faith accesses the Lord's help. And that's how you're going to make it. You came in here today going, I just don't know how I'm going to make it another day, Ed. You're going to make it with the Lord's help. I just don't know what I'm going to do with this. You're going to make it by the Lord's help. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week. You're not going to make it in your own strength. You're not going to make it with your own resolutions. You're not going to make it by adopting some new 10-point you know, plan on how to make it. You're going to make it, it says, with the Lord's help, you're going to stand and receive his approval. And it's important for us to grasp this when we start studying the topic of faith. Faith is the hinge. Listen, faith is the hinge on which your whole life turns. The door of your whole life is held together by the hinge of faith. And you don't need a lot of faith. You don't need to build it up and say, well, I have more faith than she does and he does. That's, that's like that critical language. You just bring your faith to God and he will meet you right where you are. That if you came in again today and you had the greatest amount of faith, God loves you. But if you came in today, are you listening on the radio, watching online? You didn't come in at all because you're watching online. And, and you're like in a place of no faith. No faith. The Bible calls that faithlessness. You know what the Bible says? Even we are, when, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And the object of our faith is trustworthy. Substance, the title deed, the guarantee, and conviction, confidence. When the object of your faith is the one true God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you in your place in exchange for you so that you might receive the forgiveness of sins, your life will forever be changed. The Bible says you will be born again, a new creation in Christ. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. We're not here by random occurrences of evolution. We're here because we and everything in the universe was created by God and he spoke it into existence as we'll see in verse three in a coming study. So Father, thank you for the privilege of being reminded of your goodness today, being reminded of your love, your mercy and your grace. And we do believe, God, that by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony those that came before us, that good testimony in our life comes not because of our good deeds or our great exploits. Even though there are people that get a lot of attention because of, um, because of what they did, where they got in the news or they have a big YouTube following, they get a lot of attention, but the real work of the ministry is not by some, so many likes on YouTube, it's through the everyday life of your church on the earth today. And reality, God, the pastor is not the most prominent person in the church. Everyone has equal prominence because you love us all the same. And you use us in the places that you put us. So I pray for a fresh, fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us. And I do just feel like there's, there's great pain in the room, Lord. And I pray you do the work of healing in hearts right now. Just the, cutting the edge off just a little bit.
I'm sure the situation won't be solved in the instance of this prayer. But you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. And could it be today that God has used the circumstances in your life to get your attention? I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today, to repent of your sins, to acknowledge that the way of your life you've been living is wrong, and you want to follow the right path. And the right path is by placing your faith and trust in the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And I want to invite you, if that's you today, and you would say, Ed, I want to have my sins forgiven. Would you stand to your feet so I can pray with you? I want to lead you in a prayer so you can obey the Bible when it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So is there anyone here today that would say, Ed, that's my life. I want to turn my life toward God today. Would you just stand up? We want to pray with you. I I want to come alongside of you. God bless you in the back. I see you. God bless you here and here and here. You guys over here. God is doing all the way over here to the left. God's doing a new work. I see you. I know you guys out on the radio, downstairs, maybe in one of the overflow rooms. I don't see you, but God does. I see you guys in the back. This is an outpouring of God today. He loves you. He sent me here to be a messenger for you so that you would know that God loves you and there is hope for you only in Christ. He is your only hope. Hope is not in this church. It's not in me. It's not in a religious system. God bless you guys. It's not. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died and rose again to save your soul. So bless you guys that respond today. I want to lead you in a prayer now so you can obey God. There's nothing special about this prayer. The special part of the prayer is God. He's the God of the prayer. And if you turn your life to God today, he will receive you and change you. And so you can pray with me. Praying is just talking to God. And I'll lead you in a prayer. You can repeat these words after me. You ready? You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me. To die for me. And I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I turn my life away from my sinful past. I repent. And I dedicate my life to following you. Father, I know anyone, anywhere that would ask you to change their lives, you hear that prayer. And I pray for these special men and women, boys and girls that would come to you today. And maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's a crisis in their life. It could be the issues of just a revelation of of your presence through all these things that you're drawing people to yourself. So may the seed go down on good ground. I know a lot of them don't know the Bible. Maybe they don't even own a Bible, but you love them still. Because it's not about our works. It's about our faith. And so let their faith now placed in you change the direction of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-8255. 
888-888-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.